the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships, we talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach, and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Well, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hey, this is the show where we talk about sexual addiction and really kind of bring to light the dynamics behind that. And there isn't another show that I'm aware of that specifically talks about the disorder of sexual addiction. And it's just been a fascinating uh, month because I have had experts on from all over the country that have written books or who do specific kinds of therapy. You know, it's a real learning experience for me. I'm a psychotherapist of 32 years, and I am a certified sexual addictions therapist of two. And so I consider myself an infant slash pioneer in the field of sexual addiction. And if you are suffering from the disorder or if you know somebody who is, then you're probably a pioneer too. And the reason I say that is You know, i got to quit putting that cursor over things. I was just sitting here reading about our guest tonight. He um, has so much experience in addictions, and um, he, too, is a certified sexual addictions therapist, and he really enjoys looking at relationships and how they contribute to or contaminate each other based on the dynamics of the couple. So we're going to be talking with Ben Galloway, who runs Enchantment Workshops out of Phoenix, Arizona, and Ben is going to be talking about some things that you probably have heard of before in terms of relationships. He's going to be talking about what is love addiction and love avoidance, and you know, there's no doubt that we studied this in addiction because what we know to be true is that when somebody is addicted, whether it's to chemicals, whether it's to substances, whether it's to sex, more than likely they play out their addictive qualities either sexually by having compulsive, obsessive sex, uh, pursuing sex, pursuing love, pursuing relationships uh, to find that euphoric recall they had prior to or or to meet that need for an adrenaline rush um, or they're sexually anorexic you know they avoid sex they avoid relationships and you can imagine that oftentimes uh, a couple actually portrays both of these issues you know you may have the wife who's love avoidant and the husband who's love pursuant or you may have the wife who has an addiction to love or sex, and the man is actually avoidant. So Ben is going to clear up for us some of the theory behind these types of relationships and why there are these extremes. And so, you know, he jokingly says, hey, some of us can be from Pluto, but we have to, play, uh, you know, blaze a trail there. And I happen to train with John Gray, and and I really do believe there are some inherent gender differences in many of us. I would never stereotype all of us, but I do think there are clearly some inherent differences in figuring out how they play out based on childhood of origin issues, you know, role modeling they may have seen, or trauma that they may have experienced. Um, boy, that's what clearly 
creates these relationship patterns. Now, I want you to get a pen and paper because the call-in number for tonight is 646-595-3284. What does that mean? That means that you can call in at any point and ask Ben or myself a question, or you can share some of your own issues. This is absolutely an honest dialogue format. You get to call in, and if you have concerns about yourself, whether it's on topic or off topic, it's okay. So, again, that number is 646-595-3284. And uh, can't emphasize enough that this is absolutely a safe place. Nobody's going to know your voice. I mean, that is the beauty of Internet radio Um, With Internet Radio, we are not just local, but our airwaves are not just in the United States, but they're in, I think it's 17 different countries through Blog Talk Radio. So nobody's going to know who you are. Feel free to get your questions answered or share your comments. You know, we've had some controversial guests in the past, so feel free to call up and say, hey, that goes against the 12-step program or What the hell is the 12-step program anyway? You know, there's no doubt that being a certified sexual addictions therapist, uh, we learned uh, through ITAP, which is an organization that was founded by Patrick Carnes, we learned that it's not just good therapy, but it's also group therapy, a 12-step model, and bibliotherapy that really works. And, and you know, this is hard work. When you decide that you're going to recover from sexual addiction, that means that you have to designate some morning time for meditation, some after work or during work time to head to meetings, 12-step meetings. You have to get a sponsor. You know, you you have to do some reading. I mean, you don't have to. Listen to me saying you have to. But all these tools make it much more likely that you are going to manage your recovery and avoid slips and relapses. And so, again, can't emphasize enough, if you hang in there and listen to the show, you will find out as much as you need to know about sexual addiction. And and we can always get you to the right place. I mean... You know, I had a client this week who appeared to be doing really, really well, almost to the point where um, I was going to use him on the show. And then it came out that he wasn't doing well. He was uh, cheating up a storm. He was in Internet chat rooms. He was um, making uh, really suggestive sexual phone calls. And um, he was absolutely a mess. And he was going to meetings and was just beginning to sponsor people. Now, that is the risk anybody faces in a 12-step program, that there might be somebody who's lying to themselves and therefore lying to others. But i got to tell you, the majority of people that we work with are, are using rigorous honesty. And they're walking their talk. And um, they're making a difference in the lives of so many other people. So can't emphasize enough how important it is to take your life to that next level and, you know, get a certified sexual addiction therapist. Now you may say, well, how do I find one? If you go to the website, www.sexhelp.com, You can plug in your zip code, your state, and it will show you certified sexual addictions therapists. Or, um, you know, some of us, I mean, I do it by Skype. There are plenty of areas that don't have certified sexual addiction therapists. And so I will work with you with Skype and, um, you know, where we actually are seeing each other and we're doing the work. And... I happen to use a recovery task model that Patrick Carnes developed. And so I have you do your homework, you buy the kit, you do your homework, we dialogue about it, and then we do a check-in. And you 
probably know the check-ins are, are when you check in about your feelings, how your week was, and what you're working on. So um, never fear if there isn't a certified sexual addictions therapist right there with you, that's okay because I'm here to tell you that there are plenty of ways that you can get the help you need with today's technology. Now, what do you do if you have sworn off the Internet? Well, um, I suspect you're listening to the show right now, so you must have some availability. Maybe you've got your spouse helping you and monitoring you, or maybe you've got um, some sort of device on your computer that reassures your sponsor or your loved one that you are staying clean and you are staying off the websites, covenant eyes, secret eyes, um, many things available to you. So how was your week anyway? i got to tell you, this has been a whirlwind of a week for me. Um, I am reti- well, I say retiring, but I'm actually resigning from a job of 16 years. I'm 56. Um, if you ever want to get on my website, it's www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach. Um, similar to the name of the show, Hope, Strength, and Recovery. Um, and I, in doing this, I feel very conflicted. I have loved working for the corporation that I've worked for, and I've made many good friends. I've really established a strong client base, and I have been able to run groups. I've run over 2,000 groups, women's groups, anxiety groups, self-esteem groups, CBT groups, you name it, I've probably done it, and I've done a lot of presentations. I, if you get on my website, just my Carol the Coach website, you'll see that I, I do television. I've had radio shows. It's just really afforded me an opportunity to expand. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to me locally, uh, you can tune me on tomorrow night. Tune me in on Channel 6, which is WHTR. Um, I'm going to be talking about girls' self-esteem and you know how they're using the Internet to validate who they are, and most of them are not getting solid validation. But anyway, so I've had this really bittersweet week and um, had my resignation party with my staff, loved it, had a blast, and then two nights later came home to a surprise party for me. Actually, I was talking to Ben Galloway, who is going to be on the show here in just a few, and I uh, was talking with him and walked in on my surprise party. Flowers everywhere, people everywhere, and um, with, a, with a fine dining meal after the, the party. So, you know, it kind of made me feel better. I'm a person that believes you got to process your feelings, but then you got to move on. And if you've got a specific feeling that you want to share tonight, 646-595. Three two eight four. That is the number that you can call in at any point to share your feelings, to share your opinions, to ask your questions, and um, to get the help that you deserve. So, uh, I'm a big believer in in good mental health, and I do believe that you know you got to start out your day strong. So when I get up. I'm always reading something inspirational. Now, for a sex addict, that might be um, the SAA or the SA book, very similar to Alcoholics Anonymous book. It's kind of the Bible. It goes into not only people's stories, but also the 12 steps, which can be very, very um helpful in figuring out how to reformulate your character. You know, what do you need to do to let go of the shame and guilt, to look at your defects, to build up your self-esteem, and to then to work with others and help them do the same. And then, you know, some people read a good Patrick Carnes book, Facing the Shadows, Out of the Shadows. Some people read, you know, what it's like to be the partner, Stephanie Carnes has written some some great books. Um, uh, Robert Weiss has written a wonderful book. And, you know, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, John and Elaine Leadham, who 
wrote a couple uh, couples recovery guide called One in the Spirit. So that's how I start my day out, followed by exercise. One, I find that it decreases my anxiety. And two, what I also find to be true is that, you know, not only does my anxiety decrease, but I feel more disciplined, like I am, have really something to offer. Um, you know, when I'm doing something healthy for myself, it produces endorphins. There's no doubt about it. So how do you start your day? You know, are you snoozing that that alarm clock over and over and over again, kind of dreading the day? Or are you bouncing out of bed and looking forward to what the day has to bring you? Interestingly enough, I have to tell you that um, they did a study on how to be happy. And they did 20,000 people, and they found out that there were really three um, components to being happy. The first one being staying in the moment. The second one being having gratitude. And the third one being that you used reframing. And when you use reframing, you take any obstacle or challenge and you ask yourself, hey, what do I have to learn from this? What does it have to teach me? So interestingly enough, there is no doubt that, you know, you can create formulas that really help you and that really create uh, a scenario and a situation whereby um, you know you will feel better about yourself now I'm wondering what you do to get off to the right start you know maybe it's that you sit with the kids and you read them a book or perhaps you go outside and just take a, a long healthy walk or maybe a pray journal, Um, listen to your favorite music. Yeah, it really matters not what you do, but it does matter that you feel good about it. Uh, That's what really counts. So, as I've indicated, there are so many opportunities to make yourself feel good. And sexual addiction takes those opportunities away. There is no way you can lead a life of, uh, with sexual addiction and feel good about yourself. And so that's one of the reasons that it is so important to, you know, find Find those magic magic formulas that work. Um, and I'm a real big believer in, in having people that you can talk to and share how you're feeling. And so when you do that, then really you've got that support network. That's why the 12-step program works so very well for everybody. All right. Well, hey, this is Carol the Coach, and do I have Ben on the line? Uh, Yes, Carol, it's me. Hello, Ben. I've been waiting for you because I am very excited today to be talking to you about some of your theories and what you've seen in couples over the course of years when they had addictions and they were really trying to create a sense of intimacy so tell me a little bit about yourself. If you would, tell our audience what it is you do and how you do that. Well, um, I live out here in Arizona, and I have been in uh, the field of addiction recovery as a therapist for almost 23 years. The the first seven years, I worked in a rehab center, and then I've I've been in private practice for, oh, a little over 15 years. And about five, six years ago, we we built a place in northern Arizona where we do intensives and workshops. So I uh, I have 
I have some ongoing men's groups and a private practice in Phoenix, and then uh, I have the workshops facility in northern Arizona. And um, I'd say about, oh, 16 years ago I, I met Patrick Carnes and started doing some intensive training with him and Pia Melody and did her PIT trainings and just kind of hung out with uh, some of that cutting-edge stuff as it was Well, yeah, because she's the best in the field when it comes to love addiction and love avoidance. And, and what does PIT stand for? Well, PIT is post-induction therapy. And what it really means is post, of course, is after. Induction is what is induced into a child. And uh, then therapy is, is just the modality. And it's it's a pretty simple, basic modality that wraps around 12-step recovery real well. It wraps around um, a lot of different uh, therapy modalities. So it's 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 very useful. And it is um, it's it's very applicable with most people. I find it doesn't work well with everyone, but for most mm-hmm. people, I can get around in that model very well. Okay, so you worked with the cutting edge. You worked with people that are founders in the field of relationships and addiction and sexual addiction, and that had to really inspire you for greatness. It well, it did. I had my own work, my own work to do, of course, a, uh-huh. a wounded healer, very much uh-huh. so. And and uh, before I ever met Patrick and Pia, I did a lot of uh, John Bradshaw's work, and I, met, I finally met. Um, I had my own uh, work to do. I found a therapist I could really feel safe with, and a men's group that I could land in, and and really get some of my own trauma work done. And and my wife and I, we've been together about 21 years and have quite a few failed relationships between us before we met each other. We're Uh both in recovery, and so we both had our individual work to do, and then we had our work to do together. And uh, my my first question to her was, um, when it gets going going a little bit rough for us, will you do the work? And um, and I, I asked her not to answer the question right away. She got back to me and said, yep, I'm all in. So we kind of grew the love through some hard work, and we had uh, three children, hers, mine, and and then eventually ours. And our daughter is uh, 20. So she grew up in recovery. And so, you know, obviously it's exciting to get to work together in recovery, but but it's very challenging because you both – probably um, fed into each other's wounds. Well, early on it was very challenging, and that's one of the things I hope we get to is there. there is a lot of hope because when you really uh, do the work within those models, uh, whether um, it's Patrick Carnes' model on sex addiction and uh, co-sex addiction and getting the relationship healed up over uh, a, long, uh, you know, a, a good amount of time, or whether it's Pia's model on love addiction and love avoidance and uh, healing trauma. You know, it's it's worth it. It's not much of a struggle for us most of the time when we stand in self-care today. And, uh, of course, there, there are times where uh, life makes that difficult and uh, we get busy and, and uh, things happen in life and, and death happens and all kinds of stuff gets dealt out. And, and uh, But we've got a tool basket. Mm-hmm. So... Let's get started. I mean, how do you believe that these very different ways of being in a relationship, how do you believe they get formed to begin with? Well, I I think the way I wrap my head around it is we there are two basic forms of abandonment in childhood. Mm-hmm. And really abuse and this is Pia Melody's definition, but um she says abuse to a child is any act less than nurturing. And so abandonment, whether you have a connection with a parent and they die or there's a divorce um, and you lose that connection, or you have a parent who's home but not really home, and um, you, can't just, you just can't quite plug into them, that sets up 
love addiction or an orient if you you know a full blown love addict is something different than someone who's oriented to closeness and relationship uh most women are built that way a little different a, a little bit uh, more than uh some of the differences with men are that most men are um you know more distance oriented however when it's in an extreme you have um enmeshing abuse is also abandonment but it's it's where the child starts to grow up with their focus on what the parents want of them and they yeah, that makes really total sense, that abandonment versus neglect, and then also, obviously, the expectations of what is expected of you as a kid. Ben, we've actually got somebody on the line. Um, your name is? Are you there? Okay, we had somebody there. Are you We had there? someone. Okay. Yes, we'll get we them did. Back. Okay, so continue. Now, okay. do you think well, that... Well, enmeshment... Uh, the enmeshing abuse drains the child, and they uh, basically are oriented to distance because of the draining. And so the, they usually will find a partner who's needy and a love addict, and that overwhelms them, and they become very distance-oriented. So you have a distance-oriented individual and a uh, kind of a relationship value rests on the other person uh, oriented person. So they're both rooted in abandonment but different forms. Well, that makes sense. Okay, so then how are they drawn to each other and also drawn to the different roles? Well, I think what what happens as far as being drawn to the different roles mm-hmm. um that we have different Neuroscience has come a long ways in the last 10 years, and we have different orientations that are set up in in childhood. So we carry those wounded parts forward into the adulthood. And so the past isn't really the past. It's alive and well in our neurochemistry. So what happens in that when uh, we're, for, for instance, looking for a partner, we have that map and that orientation and that energy so a lot of times we will, uh, the energy ends up being being the picker, and uh, we, we connect with people who fit with our issues in such a way that it brings out what's unfinished in us. And Okay, so they connects, say that again. The energy uh, becomes the picker. Yes. So, and so we give end us an example. With, well, we usually um, we'll end up with someone who just rubs us the wrong way in such a way that it brings out what's unfinished in us. So a lot of times I'll be working with a couple, and you will see someone who had, uh, say, a female had a dad who was unavailable, and she'll pick a, a, be, end up with a man who's very walled off, emotionally distant, unavailable. And then he grew up with a mom who was angry, and she gets mad about the abandonment, and then what happens, they trigger off of each other. So what that really does, it it gives them a vehicle to be able to start to heal what's unfinished. The relationship does. Now, it starts with each person doing their own work, of course. Of course. Yes. So, you know, Terrence Reel, he, he's he's on the East Coast, um, out where you're at, and he wrote a book, um, uh, and what what he his his premise is, and also Harville Hendricks, he has a model uh, called Imago that's real popular, that, you know, we pick our unfinished business, and mm-hmm. the other person brings out what's unfinished in us, and in those models, it's about, you you know, waking up to what's unfinished and being presented in front of us, and, and not acting it out in the relationship, but building boundaries and a program where you work with that unfinished business. Now, in Pia's model, she focuses a lot more on boundaries, and so... Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of got to figure out what what works best for uh, which couple, and it you know there's quite an assessment process while you're working with people and trying to figure out where they're at in recovery, what model's going to work best, and and getting in and out of 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 those models. Well, that makes total sense. Now, you know, you hear so often about codependency in relationships, and typically in addiction, there is somebody who tends to be codependent. Can you clarify um, 
what you believe codependency is in the model of with relationships and, and addiction? Uh, yeah, you know, there's been a lot of confusion about that term because initially it was code to the chemically dependent. And uh, in the later 80s, I think Bradshaw and Pia Melody, she wrote Facing Codependency. Uh, but what they started to utilize the term, and it was more based in a, an adapted self or a false self that has a, pro- a problem showing up in relationship with self first and then in relationship with others. And so that that term of codependency is really a problem with our sense of self related uh-huh. to you know, self-esteem issues, boundary issues, owning our reality uh, and being accountable for it with humility uh, and, and uh, taking care of our needs and wants and remaining uh, a little more moderate. We live in these extremes. And so uh, code of, you can have a love addict or a love avoidant. It's, when you have those ways of being in a relationship, codependency is always behind it. You can have a codependent individual who is not severely love addicted or love, severely love avoidant, but they'll be oriented to those extremes, those ways of being uh, relational. So, it, you know, it's a a confusing word. It's kind of a catchphrase, and um, it really speaks to trauma, sets up problems with this sense of self, and then that creates unmanageability in the first step of of a 12-step program. Um, We talk about unmanageability. And then that creates problems with being relational, which creates uh, uh, problems with control, spirituality, and a sense of being who we truly are. And uh, it sets up problems with being able to own our needs and wants. And so codependency really, um, the other way it's used a lot is in the Al-Anon sense. You'll have people in Alcoholics Anonymous and a partner will be in Al-Anon. And uh, some people utilize it that way where you have a codependent is the partner of an addict. Um, But, again, it can be a confusing word. Yeah, and, and, you know, I certainly believe that when you've grown up with abandonment or you've grown up with neglect, it's gonna, there's going to be self-esteem issues anyway. And so for those people that have that void, of course they're going to hook up, they're going to be magnetized to somebody who has addictions um, so that they can take care of them and feel that sense of self but, of course, if they don't have that true sense of their own self, they're not going to be healthy enough to know what the boundaries are. And I, you said Pia is a, is a master at talking about boundaries um, yeah. when it comes to codependency. And I understand why. You've got to have those boundaries, but you can't really even have those boundaries until you have that sense of self-esteem. Well, and, and Carol, another um, interesting model that a couple of people have done work in is, you know, Terrence, Terrence Gorski did a lot of work in uh, the substance abuse area and mm-hmm. uh, designed the synapse model and did relapse prevention work. And him and Claudia Black, who Claudia, uh, just a neat lady, she did a lot of work around after the Vietnam War. Um, in 1978, I, uh, there was a fellowship form called Adult Children of Alcoholics, and her and quite a, a few other people pioneered this whole childhood onset PTSD. Well, Claudia and Terrence uh, did a model on ca- codependency and counterdependency. So, mm-hmm. and then there's a couple in uh, Colorado Springs. The Weinholds wrote a book on codependency and counterdependency. And the the counterdependency is like love avoidance, and then codependency is more like love addiction. Uh-huh. And what 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 you're talking about with a caretaker role, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we collect caseloads <laughs> of needy people, broken people, wounded people. But what's interesting about that, you would think it's more of a love-addicted role, but what that really is, you cannot love a person who's trying to take care of you. In other words, you can't create equality and true intimacy because they're coming from a parent role and a one-up role, and, you know, they think, you know, they're trying to, most of them, if you ask them why they're locked into that, well, I'm trying to help, and I'm 
you know, it's love. But what it really is is in that childhood, their needs were denied and they were taught to externalize. So they end up needing to be needed, and they're coming from a parent role, so they know what's best for you. Well, that doesn't create intimacy. No, it doesn't. A lot of resentment and and a lot of old childhood wounds come out that way. So you can see where that would just really keep that avoidance cycle going. It really does. So what do you think is a healthy balance between these extremes? Uh, You know, what is it you think they look like? And and what, in your opinion, is healthy intimacy? Well, people flip-flop in and out of being more distance-oriented and... uh, we were just talking about this the other day. Uh, women tend to, when they get in their, up in their 50s and have been married a while, they get much more independent, most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and men become more needy and settled into the nest. So a lot of times when people have done a lot of their own work, they'll flip-flop into those, in those extremes. But the idea is to get enough work done to where you're not locked in there. And what help really looks like as you start doing your work around the trauma and you build intimacy a lot of the couples that my wife and I both see they do a couples meeting at least once a week and they go through all the basic emotions and uh, they use boundaries so they're not talking over one another they're they're uh, you know there's two parts to communication there's talking and there's listening and so it's that kind of equality also in a relationship where you don't have a parent and a child in a relationship, um, they're negotiating needs and wants and accepting where the other person comes from. No two people want to be loved exactly the same, and if they do, it creates quite an enmeshed situation that, that usually uh, creates problems later. So uh, they grow the love through needs negotiation. I would say... An intimate relationship is intentional, and it and it's intentional because two people have come together and said, here's what we stand for, here are the principles we live by, and uh, we, we negotiate and we fight fair. Main main thing is fighting fair. A lot of couples um, will get over, a, on a scale of zero to ten, they get over a four, and then they get in and, and just really um, get in those agendas about wanting to be right make the other person wrong, um, revenge, um, you know, punishing the other one with silence, all those things. We really teach people that if you're over a four, you got to separate and do your own work and then come back together and fight fair about whatever it is you're fighting about. And if you can't, get some third-party help. So it's, I'd say it's much more intentional, healthy sexuality and the needs and wants get negotiated, healthy spirituality. What? And then you said that a lot of the couples that you work with, they at least attend once a week a couples meeting. And then what else do they do? Well, the couples meeting is something they do on their own, and Mm -hmm. we have a format for them to do that. They have a date night at least once a week, um, and that's the hardest thing to get couples to do. You know, and that's that's kind of sad that we can't find one night a week where we uh, we go honor our relationship. Now. Most of See, our I don't couples, get that, Ben. I don't get yet. that at right. all because we go out at least twice a week. We need that for stimulation. Now, we don't have kids, so yeah. that makes it a whole lot easier. But I imagine you're working with a lot of middle-aged and you know, people who their children are grown too. So you're saying what? that a lot of the couples you work with, boy, it, what does it feel, selfish or self-indulgent to, to go out on a date at least once a week? No, it's it's the it's the uh, love avoidant you're usually wrestling with on that one, because they create intensity outside the relationship. I mean, they'll have an enmeshed mother, uh, they'll have in-laws, or be saving their whole family. They'll be into work addiction and working sixty, seventy hours a week. They'll be into uh, an emotional affair or even sexual affair. So you know, we really don't do the couple's work until they get into well into their own individual recovery. We do a lot of boundaries work. But uh, what what a lot of them do, we won't work with them unless they're at least willing to do a date night in a couple's meeting once a week. Okay. And then, okay. uh, you know, that, that at a bare minimum. And uh, 
needs and wants negotiation, we in our model, we develop in six ways: um, intellectual, sexual, emotional, spiritual, physical, and social. And so we go through a long process of, of really negotiating those needs and wants, and they grow a sense of being together based in what, where each of them is coming from. And, you know, you, you have a right to ask for what you need and want. The other person always has a right to say yes or no and mm-hmm. um, and or negotiate. So some of these, you know, people, a lot like me and my wife, we did not have skills. I mean, our parents did not have relationships. It was a war zone. So you you know you or I now it seems really ludicrous that someone wouldn't go on a date night. It's appalling because you know what really matters here is loving another human being and honoring the relationship. But a lot of people, even people in AA and uh, NA and some of the fellowships, are really still walled off and having difficulty in these relationships. I think. In the programs, we're taught, you know, you work your program, I'll work mine. And uh, and some people grow the relationship. The third leg on the stool is the relationship recovery. But, um, you know, it's 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 uh, it's tough. you got to meet people where they're at, and everybody's at a different place when uh, they come into our office. Well, and I was going to ask, so they they come to, to you because they understand that you have special – expertise in addiction and sexual addiction and so you meet with them you assess them and then you go into your expectations for them as a couple and if i understand well go ahead go ahead well i was just gonna say and so if i understand it right you know you are recommending a couple's meeting at least once a week um therapy with you a date night at least once a week uh, you look into the needs and wants and, and negotiation and figure out what that is and if they are if they if they have difficulty with fighting and it gets to be you said a level four, you ask them to go back and, and keep really working individually first. Well, no you know, what happens when when they fight we have a handout called the defusing handout. And what happens when you activate your sympathetic nervous system, you flood with cortisol, epinephrine, and norepinephrine. So whether they're brand new or they've been together 20, 30 years and really done a lot of work, we use that as a a model that if you get over a four on a scale of zero to ten, you take a break for 30 minutes, come out of the chemical detox and the emotional flooding, and get back into the parent, the functional adult, and then reapproach each other. If you can't resolve it then, then bring it to therapy. Now, because if we get a couple, uh, say, I work a lot with substance abuse and sex addiction. So if, mm-hmm. if we get someone who's been using uh, chemicals and there's been sexual betrayal, there's a long process of getting them ready to get healthy and get ego strength and get into the program, 12-step recovery, do a disclosure, really manage the really PTSD in the spouse and the shame in the addict and really get some accountability work done. And so we don't focus at that point a lot on the couple's work. Focus more on boundaries work. And um, and uh, we will introduce later the couple's meeting format where you build intimacy in and start to build the focus on the relationship. Uh-huh. Basically, in Pia's model and Patrick's model, uh, Pat Carnes's model, it's a little bit later. So after they've done uh, some of their individual work and really have a strong foundation, they've been in the program, have sponsors, they've worked some steps, gotten a four-step uh, done, and they're really on their feet. And uh, then you start to move into the more intense couples work. Now, if I, we get a couple who's already done all the initial stuff and they've got, say, seven or eight years in the program, most of them will say we, we're having communication problems. <laughs> and, and, you know, what you find out is there's this whole web of sexual issues, financial issues, issues with kids or parenting, and, and a lot of it is the subtle trauma that the fourth and fifth step didn't get cleaned out and stuff they just aren't aware of. Because the subtle stuff that that happens in families gets normalized. 
So they aren't even seeing what's really going on. And the st- some of them that have done a lot of step work and a lot of service work in the program, but they're just stuck. And so um, in Pat and Pia's model both, there's a five-year continuum. And so you do the needs change as people move through some uh, d- different work at different times. So that's a little bit – it's a little complex figuring out where people are at. You'll get um, – uh, therapists who are real stuck in a rigid way of approaching people, and it becomes problematic because not everybody is at the same place. You can't treat everybody identical. Um, okay. You know, people are at different places based on how long they've been doing this uh, recovery dance and how uh, severe the addictions are and how uh-huh. big the trauma is and how they love one another. I mean, some people have some pretty good skills. And some don't have any, hardly. Well, I can imagine so. Now, do you think um, people blame their past too much for the relationship difficulties they have? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I do. I think some some people, what happens when we have trauma, whether it's subtle or it's big. Now, when you say subtle or big, you mean like abuse? Would be yeah, big. big would mean what I mean by big is I I know I need therapy because I was sexually abused, I was physically abused, I had uh, a severe traumatic experience, or I had a parent die, or you know, it, well, you'll even see pe- people who had a parent die or leave, and they will normalize that as it was no big deal. Right. Subtle, right. The subtle stuff. What happens? Ch- children incorporate shame. So that's a self-esteem issue, and they'll carry the shame, and they'll tell themselves that they're less than, not enough, not good enough. Now they may present better than, one up, walled off, or they may present less than, one down, not enough. But what happens when you have that shame? You're either going to probably blame other people or yourself for everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why it's so important. People say, well. You're blaming your childhood, but you've got to go back and assign responsibility. You'll find people who are, if they make even a small mistake with their children, they blame themselves and beat themselves up, but their parents did ten times that, and uh, they defend that parent. So that's going to set up a distortion of responsibility today. So you've got to get that stuff straightened out where you're, uh, assigning responsibility but not blaming yourself or another person. And that's why shame reduction work is so important uh, after people get some strength in recovery. And there's a lot, that's what our workshops do. We do a lot of shame reduction work and grief work and, you know, just educating people around the trauma and getting uh, some of the, these wounds moved, people move through some of those wounds. So uh, if it, does that make sense how people will get stuck in the blame? Oh, 100%. And I was just sitting here thinking, now, how can people find out about your shame reduction workshops and other workshops, too? Well, enchantmentworkshops.com is our is our website. Right now we're working on uh, integrating some equine. We, we have an equine therapist we like and uh, doing some stuff with the horses. We, we do customized intensives where we'll take an individual or a couple up here and um, – and you know it's just a therapist and that individual, and we only uh, we only work with people who are really uh, have done their own work, are really trained in uh, PIT uh, PIA's model, and uh, who are, are CSATs, certified sex addiction therapists. So people can find out through the website, or they can call you know they can call our number, um, and my number and my wife's number, Marby. That's on the website, or our email is on the website. And we, you know, the customized intensives, we we do an 18 18-page 18 uh, questionnaire, and then we assess intricately and talk to if they have a therapist. Uh, we do an over-the-phone interview, and we really assess what the needs are, and we desi- design something uh, specific for that individual or couple. And we've had some families up here too, so mothers and fathers and adult you know adult dads it makes me think um i had a guy years ago and um most people who blame others going back to that question 
Uh-huh. I, it's interesting because I've I've never had anybody answer this question other than this way. When I say, "What is blaming another per? What is blaming your parents protecting you from?" And and I mean when they're stuck in that rage and that blame, and they're not, and they they all say pain. Um, on, mm-hmm. And you know, usually that's where they drop into the tears. But mm-hmm. um, yep. Well, that it sounds like these customized intensives. This is something that I don't hear a lot of other therapists offering. I mean, this sounds like a very unique program that you've got to offer people, and it really is based on where they're at. Like you said, they have to do their own work first, but this sounds exciting. So can you you share some of the concrete recovery tools that um, you can actually leave our audience with but that you probably also use? With your in your therapy and and with these customized intensives. Sure. We uh, at the end of the workshop, one of the the, the things we do, we do a, a really comprehensive aftercare plan. And in doing the trauma work, we we really utilize some of the wounded child um, exercises, and we have a whole. Um, we're we're going to put together a workbook, but we have a whole set of exercises where people who get stuck in trauma and regress into that wounded child, um, how they can really get out of that. But um, most, uh, for the listeners today, I mean, I think if, you, if you're if you in one of those relationships where you ping-pong off of each other, so there's a lot of that fighting or going back and forth or m- making each other wrong and, and um, you know, just that tit-for-tat, we... Uh, suggest you you take a couple's journal and you spread the fight out over a couple of days if it's something that you're getting intense about and mm-hmm. you um you have to write back and forth so the other person has a day to answer uh, of course it's best to have a good ther- a healthy therapist involved but a couple's journal is a real powerful tool and then mm-hmm. um we uh, again the the couple's meeting format what that comes down to is uh, taking joy, pain, fear, anger, shame, guilt, loneliness, sadness, what you're proud of, what you have um, excitement about. And you share that once a week. You create a sacred time, and you you go through all those feelings. And uh, uh, it's not a time to have input into the other person's uh, disclosure. It's a time to, uh, to just listen. So we utilize that. And then... Uh, um, reading is really valuable. Taking a relationship book. Charles Whitfield wrote a book called Healthy Boundaries, and mm-hmm. boundaries are not conceptualized by most people. Um, I always tell people a window needs a screen to keep the bugs out. Well, we need to screen what we're listening to and you know, mm-hmm. accept what what fits. And 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 so um, couples late at night before they go to bed, let's just reading a little bit to each other is a powerful thing. Um, having your own sponsors, doing your own step work, going to your own meetings. Um, and RCA is a program that, that um, suggests you get a couple's sponsor. So sometimes having a mentor that you both trust or a relationship uh, where you know two people that, and it's got to be somebody pretty healthy. That way, when you get stuck, you can bounce things off of them, and just accept what they have to give you in, in the way of feedback. And, yeah, you are so uh, lucky because you have RCA groups out there. The Indianapolis area has no RCA, and and I agree. I think all couples need mental mentor couples, you know, that they can bounce things off of, and yep. you know, it's. When you can find some healthy couples, they have a lot to give. Well, so you shared it, some of the. You're right. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're very you're very right. A last tool I want to I want to share with you, which seems kind of silly, but I'll have couples who have plenty of money, and you have a a, a a wife or even a husband in some cases where they're stuck at home with the kids and they don't have a life and they can't get to meetings and. You know, just getting somebody in to clean the house once a week uh, for fifty, sixty bucks. You know, and uh, depending on what size house you have, you know, it's going to be fifty to one hundred, one hundred and fifty dollars. But uh, boy, that get, brings a lot of relief uh, because 
then that, and getting resources, you know, good rapport with grandparents. Um, as the kids get older, when they're preverbal, it's really tough. But but when you have kids involved, uh, getting good sitters, it takes truly, uh, 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 you know, a whole tribe to raise raise children. You know, in our society, uh, it's it's pretty tough. Moms are doing that, and it, it's a it's a backbreaker where you've got uh, several kids. Yes, yeah, so you're actually gonna... talking about creating some of the infrastructure that honors the other person by making it easier for him or her. And in this case, we're talking about the hers. But yeah. truly, that can be quite a recovery tool because it is so honoring. It's honoring, and if you can't, if both people can't take care of their own needs outside the the relationship, they're going to have empty cups, and then mm-hmm. they're going to try to plug into the other person to fill it. And two empty cups can't fill two empty cups. So you have to take responsibility for your own happiness, your own uh, uh, getting your own needs and wants met outside the relationship and inside. And sometimes they're tilted, they're trying to get it all from inside, and sometimes they're tilted and trying to get it all from outside. Uh, love avoiders are famous for getting all their needs met outside the relationship. And love addicts are famous for trying to get all of it met from an empty cup inside the relationship. Sure. Well, yeah, you so know, it's looking at the structure and the tools. And then, you know, I really think all of the things you've shared with us tonight, again, could apply to any couple who's doing their work. What do you do when you're in the midst of some work and somebody has relapsed? Because that is so frequent in the lives of addicts. So what do you do then? Well, it's it is frequent, but but it's less frequent if they're committed to doing emotional work because I find most of those relapses really are about the the deeper unfinished business. So if they're really doing the emotional work and doing it together, you don't see that as much. Now when you're working with people who haven't really got their roots in deep recovery, um, I mean, our protocol is very simple. If you're coming to us, you're going to meetings, and you have a sponsor. Um, if you're still acting out, you're not going to be with us long because we're going to recommend treatment. Yeah, so, treatment centers. Yeah, yeah, a treatment center. So, you know, workshops are not going to get that done. If you've got someone who's relapsing or chronic, chronically relapsing, you really have to go back to the beginning tasks, which are building support, uh, you rework a first step with a sponsor, and if they're in my men's group, they present that there too. Uh, so it's uh, you know more meetings, more sponsor contact, go back to treatment if it's a severe issue, um, and um, you know, and then you've got to manage the spouse because if they're a sex addict, what's going on there is another betrayal and another uh, uh, depending on if they how they acted out. But you've got to really uh, work with the spouse and the partner because they'll lapse into their own uh, uh, COSA issues or Al-Anon issues, and and so that's tough when people relapse because it's a, it's very scary and painful. Well, Ben Galloway, thank you so much for sharing about your enchantment workshops, your recovery tools that you use with couples, and for anybody who's listening, that's www dot enchantmentworkshops.com and they can get a hold of you Ben by again dialing 602-228-8737 and ask you questions get some resources and find out more about the model that you're using so I really appreciate you sharing all this information you can feel that you do great work with couples and you know, you're right. People need to do their individual work, but clearly, you know, there's no better way to get healthy but to develop that healthy relationship with another person. That's right. You're a delight, Carol. Thanks for thanks for having me on. It's it's uh you got a great thing going there. Well, thank you so much and we'll talk soon. I promise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All I right. Have it. a great one. Okay. Take and care. Bye-bye. You too. All right, so I I highly advise you to listen to this show again, and you go to iTunes and put in Sex Help with Carol the Coach. It'll come up, Hope, Strength, and Recovery. And as I always say, there'll be only one of you at all times, so 
fearlessly be yourself. We'll see you next week. We got Joe Court, who's going to be talking about compulsion and men who um, are attracted to men and what does that mean. We'll see you next week. <laughs>